0: This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. For more than a decade, the ACLU of Pennsylvania has been working with the city of Philadelphia to diminish illegal stops and frisks of pedestrians by city police. In 2010, we and our co-counsel from the law firm Carries Radosky, Messing, Feinberg, and Lynn filed a lawsuit on behalf of 10 Black and Latinx men, alleging that they were stopped without legal justification and because of their race. The city settled the lawsuit and agreed to a monitoring process in which officers track the reasons for stops and frisks and the race of the people involved. There has been progress in the decades since, the total number of stops is down by half, and the percentage of stops that are not legally justified has dropped. Still, every year thousands of pedestrians are stopped for no good reason. Just as alarming, racial disparities in who gets stopped remain, especially in neighborhoods where people of color are not a majority of the residents. On this episode, we hear about a new pilot program that is happening right now in neighborhoods in northwest Philly that is intended to de-escalate interactions between police and pedestrians over minor offenses. You'll hear from ACLUPA Deputy Legal Director Mary Catherine Roper and Frederick Bates, who is part of ACLUPA's ambassador program, to do outreach to community members about this effort. Learn more about the pilot program by visiting ACLUPA.org slash stop and frisk.
1: Frederick, thank you so much for yeah. uh, coming along to talk about stop and frisk um, and particularly the, the new program that is is starting in the 14th police district here in Philadelphia. Um, I guess we should probably start by introducing ourselves and I am Mary Catherine Roper. I'm the deputy legal director at the ACLU of Pennsylvania, and I have been working on issues of stop and frisk and the Philadelphia police for over 10 years now. So can you, can you introduce yourself?
2: Yes. Hello, good evening everyone. My name is Frederick Bates. Um, I am a new ambassador for the stop and frisk with the ACLU. Um, I was act- actually given the opportunity, um, via m- a daughter, one of my daughters, and she asked, that I know anyone that would want to be an ambassador for Stop and Frisk? Um, the power program in the 14th district, and I told her that I would be elated to, um, take that responsibility on. Um, I, am a retired military personnel person, um, uh, I have a master's degree in business administration and a a BA in business law. Um, I'm a native of Philadelphia for pretty much uh, my entire life, 57 years, although I've traveled um, outside of the the state and country. Um, And I think that's a pretty good introduction from my perspective. So I'm gonna give it back to you, Mary Catherine.
1: Great. Um, well, the reason that we have uh, community ambassadors is that um, the Philadelphia Police are rolling out a new approach to stop and frisk, uh, starting in the 14th District, and this comes from um, uh, this comes from our uh, long-standing lawsuit um, over the, how much police stop people and who they stop. And in particular, one of the things we noticed was that when police are stopping people for really minor offenses, things you don't even think are crimes, spitting on the sidewalk, jaywalking, carrying an open can of beer. Yeah, almost all the time, the people that they are stopping for those kinds of things are people of color. Um, and, And in Philadelphia, overwhelmingly black people. Um, And so in order to try to get rid of the racial targeting that has been so much the history in stop and frisk, um, Mm. we we got the city to agree, we got a a court to order um, that they try a program of a different approach. Um, and, And Frederick, you're one of our ambassadors going out into the community promoting this program tell me why you're pro-
2: why you're promoting it well um as i said i'm a native of philadelphia myself um and i've come from a community where those kind of situations occur all the time um, i grew up with those situations uh even occurring sometimes those situations even uh progressed into deaths um i couldn't i couldn't re- actually relate um, to a time when I was about 12, um, at 24th in Allegheny, where a man was stopped, um, handcuffed, and placed on his knees, and actually died. Now, this is probably 75 or 76 um, when I witnessed uh, that, that situation. Um, but fast forward into today, we are still going through the same things. And, and these are not violent situations or uh, violent crimes, um, that these uh, occurrences start from, or or see that these occurrences um, turn out to be violent situations start from. It's just like uh, Mary Catherine said. It's usually uh, something of a minor offense. Sometimes same things, things that people don't even know about. Most people don't know that you can be um, stopped for spitting on the curb in public. Now. My experience in the military, uh, we sign in for that kind of stuff. But um, to receive a citation for spitting on the curb, most of us don't know about that at all. Um, the only way that I even have an um, inkling of that type of uh, violation is that I was in the military. So um, when you talk about teenagers and young men under 21, um, even the ones that some, uh, let's say under 30 even, being stopped for something um, of of such a small nature, and then uh, find themselves incarcerated from it, is is actually that's that's the heinous crime. Not that they maybe spit it on a curve or threw some trash down or drinking um, or smoking right outside. Um, warnings would be adequate, and in most cases, those warnings would um, really uh defuse that situation. But um what was found out is that um those situations are to be manipulated into uh some into some sort of situation becomes sometimes catastrophic.
1: And when you talk about you know warnings. Right, that that an officer who sees some of this sort of low level misbehavior going on could just warn something to re, warn someone to to resolve the situation. Um, you're exactly right, and uh, that's that's how this program has been designed. Um, that that when an officer sees someone carrying an open can of beer, smoking a joint in public spitting on a sidewalk or the you know, the, the radio is too loud, those kinds mm-hmm. of things. What they're supposed to do now is go up and say, hey, stop, uh, put that away, throw that away, take it inside, turn down your music, whatever. And as long as the person stops the behavior, that the encounter's over, right? That person walks away. The police officer walks away. There's no one in cuffs. There's no one being patted down or searched. There is, there is just no further interaction right. and no further opportunity for things to escalate. And, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, honestly, police have done that forever when they wanted to, right? They see somebody doing something, they say, they say stop that, move along, get out of here, stop bothering people. And, and they resolve things that way. Uh, police have done that forever. This is just a program of making that the routine.
2: Correct. Yes.
1: Um, And and one of the one of the things we found, I don't know about your experience, Frederick, but I, you know, I look at it from the data side, because, you know, for for some decades now, the Philadelphia police have to fill out a form every time they do a a detention, a stop. Um, And there were just a huge number, sometimes 40% 40% of the police stops would be for these really low-level crimes instead of for, you know, serious stuff.
2: Right. Um, and a, per- a perfect, um, the demographics are, are definitely um, a big issue because as you travel around the city, you can see even where there's like um, even a high crime area or the city, um um, violations, um, take for instance, Kensington, um, K- Kensington, Allegheny, you can literally walk out there in the daytime and see people out there doing some things that should not be done. Um, but the only, the only, um, conclusion you can draw from them not being detained when you see police officers presence right there is that they're of another color. Um, you know, I, and when we talk about race, uh, I always have to make it clear that it's really not about the color of your skin. It's about the racism. See, those are actually two different things. You're being white, my being black has nothing really to do with racism, because I have, as you can see, if we're having this chat, if we're communicating right now, then we must interact. So. You can you can take um, uh, eye color out of the fact that just as well as yours and and then be able to pinpoint what's the problem. Racism is is a thing that's taught and I, and that's and even within our police departments they have the ability to manipulate um, situations just based on that because it's a learned behavior and statistically it shows.
1: Yeah. Now, Frederick, I want to ask you because you live in the 14th district. You live where yes. the police are starting this new project. And we do sometimes hear from people who say, "Wait a minute. I want the police doing more to protect me. I don't want them doing less." Why how do you feel about that? I mean, you're you're a resident there. So what is does this concern well, well, you? Well, see,
2: I, I think I think it, it concerns me, but I also think that it's just, it's, it's because the people that are saying that they want them to do more, not less, aren't informed as much as they should be as yet. Because if they were, they would understand that given, if they can stop um, some of these minor incidences, and I say minor um, because that's what they're supposed to be, if those can be addressed and they don't have to go any further with them um, because they're actually um, you know, uh, approaching it the correct way um, what was told to them that is supposed to be a warning, then they can focus more attention on the things that will keep us safe. Some of those things are even things that keep us safe because it builds a better relationship with the com- people in the community. A lot of the people that stopped and first actually come from those communities. They're not just passing through. So they will become familiar with, oh, that cop, he stopped me before, but guess what? He was a good cop. He didn't harass me. He didn't throw me on the wall. He didn't make this this situation that I had a beer can or smoking a joint um, turn into something that it shouldn't have. So once the community is more aware of what it is that we're doing with the stop and frisk pilot program, I believe that they all come um, to a conclusion that oh, they are doing they are doing their job and they will be able to protect us now in a more efficient way. With the people in the community and the police officers, it will build a better relationship. But we just have to get the, the constituents in the community informed of what the Stop and Frisk Program is doing and how they can take a part in it too and let it and keep a tab on um. Are they giving warnings, or are they not? Um, because those are the things that's going to make them be able to see where um, the real crimes are happening, just as well.
1: So, Frederick, I don't want to, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but have you like been stopped by police? Have you had these these <laughs> kinds of stop and frisks?
2: Yes, I have. I've, I've been stopped by police. Yes.
1: I um, yeah, Amy, what was that like? Well,
2: um for, first, how should I say, in commu- in the community, it's not always that people are just hanging on a corner. What happens is you kind of meet there through your travels at times. Um, and if you stop for a few minutes and you start having conversation, you can find you could easily find yourself up against the wall. Once that happens, it's already uncomfortable because a lot of times they say no loitering. Well, it's not always loitering uh, to stop and have a conversation per se, even if you're not walking a dog. When you walk a dog, people stop and have a conversation all the time with other dog owners. But just because I don't have a dog shouldn't mean I shouldn't be able to stop and you know congregate for a moment for a few minutes um, and, and have a conversation with someone um a situation just like that can turn into you're up against the wall some people may be getting arrested some may not but why did that have to happen if it, it wasn't um it wasn't like it, they were really loitering um and if you thought that they were you could have warned them and it could have moved on um and and once you understand the um the operations of the streets any in, in, in general in an urban area, that's another thing. They would if they paid attention to that, um, people try to get home, people get off the bus, you see somebody at the corner, of the bus stop that you get off the bus from, they may talk to you. You may be driving by. You may get pulled over, get out the car, speak to someone. And you can actually find yourself up against the wall just by um trying to speak, say hello to someone that you haven't seen in a while, maybe. And that's my situation. I'm, I'm not really going to... I really can't say anything about uh, drinking an open uh, container on the corner or anything, but I can speak about how I have been on the streets, stopped, um, and then found myself up against a wall. Um, maybe because I don't know what else was going on at that time, but I still didn't think it was that kind of a situation where uh, it was a detaining situation instead of a warning situation.
1: Well, and you mentioned... Being detained. Um, when I looked at the at the data that police collect on their stops, it looks like like a stop doesn't take just a minute or two. It's like mm-hmm. ten minutes. It's like fifteen mm-hmm. minutes, mm-hmm. or
2: longer, or longer, yeah. or longer. Um, the the other thing about a stop and frisk, see, it's not just. Um, mm, Stopping frisk also comes from the mobile situ. I mean, um, yeah, mobile situations just as well. Like, it's no reason that you can be stopped and frisked just because you're you're making a turn. Like, I've also been, I've been in the vehicle right there. I'm in a turn lane. The uh, officer is in the uh, opposite lane, a right lane. Um, I make the turn. I'm going to make the turn. I'm stopped so I can make the legal turn. So I know I'm doing the right thing, but the officer will come and follow me and pull me over. Now, today on our tags, we have, we don't have stickers, um, like we used to to show that your car is expired or something like that. So when the officer pulled me over, my, my first question is, why did you pull me over? And they said they ran my tag. Now, here's what, here's the thing. My expiration, my expiration, my tag did it just my registration did just expire. I had been some days late, but I didn't get to receive anything in the mail. COVID was happening. So I was a little bit, okay, but here's you would never have known that had you not ran my tags before you pulled me over. When you put when you pulled me over, you found I, I mean I had done nothing wrong. I could that's that's why I couldn't understand how did you know that my expiration expired before I did when I didn't do anything legal. I wasn't speeding. I was at a at a regular just a corner um to make a turn, and that's just as well part of the stop and frisk situation that we have too. You know you don't have to be on your on on feet. The, um,
1: but it I mean it sounds. It sounds like, you know, when you've been stopped, you felt it. it wasn't really about you doing something wrong.
2: A- absolutely. It was definitely a profile. It was a yeah. profile followed. Um, and I, and it, you you understand this, when we look at the statistics, we know that it's, it's, it's a profile that they follow and it's protocol to them when they come out to do their job that day. And that's what the stop and frisk pilot program that um, I'm taking a part of as an ambassador is trying to stop them from doing we're not saying that it's situations where a person shouldn't be uh, detained or or even taken to jail but we're just saying that it shouldn't be happening more to more so much more to minorities or people of color than it is anyone else when we know that we're not out there doing things um, at that rate for such minor minor offenses too this is this is why you can't find anything else they, i mean it's it's disheartening and um, right now i like i said our constituents are probably um less as apprehensive to um sign on for it because they really haven't met us and we haven't we just started and we're trying to get this information out to them so we can explain to them exactly what we're doing this is a great opportunity for us because we get chance to police the police in our own neighborhood um once we can do that then we can hold them accountable like they try to discredit uh, us when they're doing different things but if we're watching them then they won't be able to discredit us in the same way. And then we can come to a place where we are filled the things and we are being treated equally.
1: Frederick, you are helping us um, inform the community about this pilot program in the 14th district. Uh, but what we what we're really hoping is that when things go well in the 14th district with this new style, this new approach to, to stops um, that we'll be able to, to spread it more broadly um, and, and get it to other parts of the city so that um, you know, everywhere, the police um, are taking, taking a step back from these really, you know, minor offenses, telling people to stop, telling people to, to, you know, put away the beer, put away the joint, whatever it is. Right. But the, but, but de-escalating the relationship between the police and the community all over.
2: Yes. Yes. And that, that's absolutely. Um, when I was asked, that was my whole, uh, vision with, along with you guys. Um, it was no way that if we did this correctly, that this would not be, um, beneficial to every district in our, uh, Philadelphia community. Um, who knows this is even something that w- that can even go regional and nationwide if we can show that, that this actually works. Um, when they say that they wanted police to you know sometimes go back to being more neighborly with uh, people in the community, this is exactly what they were saying but instead what they're doing is um, more of a bully thing like stay off my corner, stay off my streets. And you really can't do that to the people that live in the community. Um, <laughs> right. So, so um I'm I'm elated to 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 be at the beginning of such um a program that could make make great change. I, I see I I see it as nothing but positive.
1: Well, we are really glad to have you with us. And it's it's just so important that we have the community members and residents, people from you know the 14th districts, to to go talk to other neighbors and and explain this program. So, like we're we're so excited to have you and our our other ambassadors. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here.
0: That's ACLUPA Deputy Legal Director Mary Catherine Roper and Community Ambassador Frederick Bates. Again, that website to learn more about this new policing program is aclupa.org slash stop and frisk. And that's a wrap on episode 65. The editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schuford. I'm Andy Hoover, the host, writer, and director of this podcast. Until next time, be healthy and be free.